Hello and welcome to the Activist Podcast, brought to you by Vegan FTA, vegan for the animals. I'm your host, Gareth Skur, and I'll also be joined by my wonderful co-host and wife, Jackie Norman. In this episode, we have the insightful Robbie Lockie. As co-founder of Plant-Based News, Robbie is helping to bring the plant-based message to the masses. Here, Robbie shares his amazing vegan transformation story, some background on how Plant-Based News got started, and brilliant insights into using social media effectively. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did, and be sure to check out our social media pages at VeganFTA on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, where you can also find this series in video format. Thank you so much for being with us today, Robbie. It's a real pleasure to have you here. And, um, you know, the more that we've learned about you, um, the more that we, you know, we have quite a lot in common, as it seems, even though we're on opposite sides of the world. So um, as someone who has a chronic pain condition myself, I was interested to learn that um, you were also once a sufferer, um, which first led you to removing animal products from your diet. And um, a little while ago, I was walking down the street here in Napier in, in Hawke's Bay in New Zealand, and I was listening to your story of, of how you, you know, your vegan journey, your health journey. And um, as I was walking along, I was actually in tears. <laughs> so <laughs> there I was walking through Napier Town Centre with tears streaming down my face. So um, I know you've probably spoken about this, you know, many times now, but I think your journey to becoming vegan is, is such an important and powerful one, you know, it's just of, of making that connection. Would you mind just sharing it with our viewers as well? Of course, absolutely. So uh, I think it's like seven, seven and a half years ago, uh, the time goes by so fast, but I was experiencing a lot of chronic pain, as you said, um, a lot of back pain and aches and skin issues and bloating and just fatigue and I felt really terrible all the time and I saw loads of doctors and specialists and no one really could tell me what was wrong with me and I decided to sort of take uh, the the situation into my own hands really and do some research Um, and around that time Netflix came onto the scene here in the UK and we were obviously presented with this wonderful wealth of documentaries and films and I um, decided to sort of dive into that world and I watched uh, Food Inc, Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead by Joe Cross, um, Forks Over Knives, Vegetated and I literally just like overdosed on plant-based and nutritional documentaries because I really wanted to learn about it and you know not only did I was I sort of quite shocked by how the food system functions you know environmentally and its damage it's doing to our world but I was also quite amazed and 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 uh, well, enlightened really about how food actually can change the biochemistry of our body and change how we are and our health and all that kind of stuff. So um, I decided to sort of learn a bit more and a, a friend of mine mentioned and talked to me about this alkaline diet, which since uh, since reading about it, there isn't sort of any sort of clear science behind the alkaline diet, but what there is science behind is that increasing um, the number of the amount of leafy greens and sort of cruciferous vegetables in your diet does improve your artery function. So, But at the time, I was like, oh, alkaline, alkaline, I need to go alkaline. So I started um, juicing and eating more greens um, and decided to try a juice fast, which is not really a fast because you are still consuming something, consuming nutrients, but I did a five-day juice fast, five or six. We could get confused with five or seven days. It's so long ago now. I think it's five days. And every single day I drank about four or five different juices. Um, I always sort of laugh about when I tell the story because when we went to the supermarket to, to buy all the fruits and vegetables, 
I think we bought like 15 pineapples or something. It was just so much fruit, just piles and piles and piles of fruit. Um, but we did it and I felt really, really good. And a lot of my um, pain, aches and pains started to clear up. Um, my bloating disappeared um, and I just generally started to feel much better, even just after one week. Um, at the end of that week, we had a friend's birthday party at a local pub and we went to the pub and we sat down uh, and ordered some food and I don't know why we did this but I ordered a beef burger this big huge big pub like beef burger which was dripping in fat and all greasy and I got halfway through and I felt so sick after having five days of just juices all this wonderful nutrients and nourishment in my body had a big beef burger and I felt terrible afterwards and I realized that that was kind of when I was falling out of love with meat because you know, it, it no longer had the same appeal. Yeah. Shortly after that, um, a friend of mine, another friend, mentioned that there was this incredible documentary called Earthlings that I must simply must watch because it really kind of talks about the relationship between animals and humans. And I sat down to watch that documentary and it really unlocked a realization within me about how our place as a species on this planet has become so innately destructive. Um, and that, you know, in a way I felt quite ashamed to be human after, the, after watching that documentary. It really moved me and made me quite, what's the word, it, it kind of humbled me really and made me just realize that, you know, we, there's, there's something not right about human beings really if we live in such a, in such a way. Uh, but it, it was kind of shocking to me as well because I didn't really, I didn't really understand why I hadn't thought of this stuff before because I knew animals were killed and I knew that that there, you know, I knew about our relationship with them. I grew up on a farm. I'd seen animals killed, but I'd never seen it laid out in that way. I'd never be, it never had been explained to me in that way. So if you, if you're questioning whether to watch Earthlings or not, please do watch it. It is a very powerful film that can change your life. Anyway, around the, I think it was on that very day, um, I was at the, in the house and I heard a screech and a screaming and shouting outside. So I went outside the front of our house and we live in a cul-de-sac, which is a, like a dead end, you could call it, a road. Um, and the cul-de-sac kind of has, a, has lots of little houses all around it. Um, and I ran out into the street and there was a, a car, a big people carrier with a, a, a mum and all her kids in the back. And I went over to her and she was crying and the kids were screaming and I looked back and I could see this cat on the road, this beautiful big Persian cat that used to live next door. And I went over to her and she was lying in the road in this huge pool of ruby red blood. Um, and she was flapping around and, and she was obviously like, had a, sustained a huge um, trauma to the head um, and her eyes were shaking and I sort of looked down at her and I kind of, you know, took hold of her. And, you know, as they say, people always tell you that if an animal is suffering, that you should put it out of its misery, you should end its life. Um, I couldn't do it. I really could not do it. I couldn't bring myself to do it. It, it. it was one of those moments where I thought, you know, this is not something that I I can I could ever do. Um, and so why why did I, you know, why am I paying other people to do this for me? You know, all the words and the thoughts and the images of earthlings were flickering through my mind. Um, and I had this sort of religious, spiritual experience where she was me and I was her. Her blood was my blood. My eyes were her eyes. I think she had green eyes. I've got green eyes. You know, um, you know. It just had. I saw these sort of similarities in her as a creature and me as a creature. Um, and I and I really sort of you know was shaken by it. And you know, the life slipped from her body in my very hands. And you know that that is when I I had the realization that I would become a vegan. I would you know I would. 
I would spread this message to as many people as far and wide as possible because I thought that you know people need to know about how precious animals are and how they deserve to live in this world, um, just like us, free from suffering. And that's pretty much when I resolved to become vegan, <laughs> as it says on the T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That, that was one hell of a day. As if earthings wasn't enough for you to have to go through that. And, um, you know, I mean, one of the best things about recording this series is hearing everybody's stories. We've all got our own journeys, but I think yours has to be, you know, one of the most powerful when it comes to connection and, and just emotions and everything. So uh, thank you for sharing that. And, um, you know, as, as a brilliant interviewer yourself and a highly uh, successful entrepreneur, you know, we were really nervous about interviewing you, as I said, but um, it, did, it did put us at ease somewhat in learning um, what a fantastic example of overcoming adversity you are and that you really can do whatever you put your mind to. I mean, your story is another inspiring tale of how, um, like myself, you know, I totally get that. You don't have to attend university. You don't have to get a college degree to, to be successful and have that piece of paper to say that you can do what you've been doing, you know, um, and also have a job that's also your passion. So, um, and also like me, you know, while still in your teens, you were put on a plane and sent to the other side of the world uh, where you were told you would never make it. So I love stories yeah. like this. <laughs> How was it that you made your way in a world where it was supposedly, you know, all, all set against you? I, it's a really good question. Uh, you know, I grew up in a little town in the eastern highlands of, of Zimbabwe in Africa, um, and it was a very kind of rural town um, and a very small community. And then I moved to the capital, Harare, in my late teens um, and sort of decided to start, you know, a, a life for myself um, and became a little more independent, um, got a, rented a room from a, from a friend and sort of started to live my life a bit more and sort of try to, you know, be a bit more of an independent human. Um, and then, you know, life in Zimbabwe started to spiral out of control uh, around then, this was 1998, I think it was. Um, and there was there was riots, uh, people throwing bricks through windows from our, at our college. There was tear gas from police from constant like unrest. There were food shortages, fuel shortages. Um, it was just you know it wasn't really a very nice environment to be growing up in. My parents said to me, "Well, maybe it's time that we get you out of the country to safety." Um, and I had two choices. I could either go to Cape Town in South Africa or I could go to London. There was also talk of Edinburgh, but it was either London or Cape Town. Um, but because my grandfather was born um, in London, um, I was lucky enough to be able to get an ancestral visa. And um, I had 200 pounds in my pocket and some clothes and a few CDs and some family photos. And off I was shipped to, to England little country mouse <laughs> and um, I landed in Reading which is just outside of London this little little city just outside of London um, and quickly outgrew it. it it felt too small for me to kind of like suburban and moved into the big city and I always had a dream of being a big shot graphic designer working in, a, in an agency but people always said to me you know you'll never make it it's too competitive there's too many people trying to do that and you know it's a very popular type of job and you know you, you don't have any qualifications you haven't been to university but I was determined to do it um, and I taught myself Photoshop and graphic design and uh, I taught myself all the creative tools and I kind of applied for jobs in agencies as a junior designer um, off the back of my portfolio and I got I got jobs 
uh, and went on to work for some of the biggest companies in the world, namely Jamie Oliver, Getty Images, BMW, um, and, and working in agencies where I worked on websites like Waitrose.com, which is a huge supermarket chain here, the Royal Navy, Royal Marines, um, and loads of really, really great like digital platforms. Uh, after that, I kind of then got more involved in um, video and doing more video editing, which I've, you know, in recent years I've learned to really love doing. I, I find it, um, I never get tired or bored of, of editing videos and, and creating content that tells stories. Ultimately, I think that's what I love more than anything else is to tell stories and to, and to capture people's imagination through images and music and sound and emotion. Um, and, you know, fast forward to today, I'm, uh, you know, co-directing a, a platform that reaches millions of people a month um, through through storytelling and through journalism and through writing and through and through video and motion graphic uh, uh, infographics and, and and the power of social media so it's uh it's been quite a long obviously that's a an abridged version but uh it's been quite a journey and i'm very very proud to be a part of the, the movement well thank you so much for sharing that it's it's such an inspiring story and um it really fills uh, me with hope, you know, because I, I, I'm yet another one who's been self uh, self teaching myself and trying to get into this sort of industry, and um, it's it's just so wonderful. And when we're doing our research on you, we're just so many different rabbit holes we could go down because you're just full of wonderful <laughs> stories. Um, it's absolutely wonderful, but of course, uh, plant based news is what you're most well known for, and it is a brilliant platform. Mm. And um, one thing I, I loved learning about was how. Uh, for you, it was the case of, you know, setting an intention, you know, you uh, had a passion, you wanted to follow it, not quite sure where to start, but you set that intention. And it's created with the, I believe it's the biggest vegan uh, platform out there today. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? Mm. Uh, so the process was, it all started with Klaus, uh, my good friend Klaus Mitchell. Klaus and I met uh, at an event called Vegan Futures, um, which was like a TED Talks for vegans. Um, and the process of creation was it started as a YouTube channel uh, and Klaus had this idea that, you know, he was frustrated about the lack of um, information out there about the plant-based lifestyle, but also um, the fact that, you know, the, the foods that we were eating were causing so much harm to people that they didn't seem to be uh, some kind of counterculture. But he did. He obviously was uh, vegan at the time and, and kind of aware that there needed to be more information out there. So he set up the YouTube channel. Um, not long after that, we about a, I think about a year after that, we met um, and uh, we just got on really, really well. Klaus helped me move into the house I'm in now, and we became really good friends. And he said, you know, let's 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 collaborate. Um, and I love collaborating. I love working with other people. It's one of you know my, the greatest joys in life to create with others and build things together. And we sort of worked up here in my spare room, uh, and I built the website um, and took over like Instagram and our social media and we decided to sort of start like working on it regularly and I would work pretty much most evenings on, on it and we would just, you know, we would just become equally obsessed with trying to, to, to share this knowledge and share this information, whether it's videos or graphics or doing live videos. We once did this live video on New Year's Eve where we broadcast the kill counter, which is when it shows you the number of animals killed every minute or every second. We broadcasted live on Facebook, and I think at one time we had like 5,000 people watching um, back when Facebook still gave you uh, people, you know, without you having to pay. But um, we did loads of fun stuff together, and then it 
the process was kind of like really fun because I was getting to do something that I really, really enjoyed. And I really um, was getting a lot of like pleasure out of telling this, this sharing this information that I was really, really desperate for the world to see and hear. Um, and just out of the blue, we got an email from a guy called Prince Khaled Awalid, who uh, is a Saudi Arabian prince. He's a vegan prince. <laughs> original vegan prince and he sent us a message and he said um really love what you guys are doing and i would really love to support you and not just with money so uh i I didn't really know who he was um i looked him up and i was i was kind of blown away really that someone an entrepreneur and a businessman of his stature had sort of noticed us so we responded and we just said thank you so much for recognizing us and acknowledging our work and really really um really appreciate it that's it and he came back and said, uh, didn't even think you'd reply. It was really, really, um, I'm really touched that you replied. And then I'm also equally impressed that you didn't just ask for money. <laughs> um, and, you know, that, of course, that for, for a lot of people is the first thing. When an entrepreneur emails you, you know, usually people just think about money. But I wasn't thinking about money. I was just amazed that someone of his level had, had seen our stuff and was reading our website, looking at our website. And he said, do a proposal. Um, I'd love to support you. Tell me what you need, um, and uh, we'll go from there. So Klaus and I stayed up all night. We stayed up until like 6 a.m. working, and we did this proposal, um, and we presented it to him the next day uh, at like 11 or something, or 12. We hadn't slept. Big bags under our eyes. Um, and he loved it, and, and he went on to sort of support the business and, and become a part of what we're doing. Um, and is a, you know now a co-owner of Plant-Based News, and because of that, it was able it, we were able to quit our jobs uh, and focus all our energy uh, on it. It took a while; it took about eight months. Uh, I still had to work on Plant-Based News in the evenings, uh, all night, and then and during the day, I was working in agencies uh, as a freelancer, free freelance digital creative director. Um, but it was you know hard in the beginning, but eventually, when everything went through and the deal went through, we were able to sort of like quit our jobs full time and work full time on PBN. And that allowed us to sort of really, really like focus all our energy and all our attention, and that just gave it the boost it needed. And we got we, we can hide it. We hired a couple of people. Maria, our editor, who writes um, most for most most of our articles, she is an incredible powerhouse mm-hmm. of vegan journalism. Um, she has really sh- I feel like she's really helped shape uh, the you know the vegan journalist scene. Um, with her style and method of, 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 sto- of storytelling and journalism, so she's played a huge role in helping us get to where we are. And obviously, since then, we've, we've taken on other people like Giuseppe. Giuseppe is my, um, I always call him my, my right-hand man, even though he's left-handed. <laughs> um, he, you know, he's, uh, he's been a, a, a fundamental to helping me, um, you know, just stay on top of everything and, and, and create a really solid foundation for us to be a brand and a platform that helps support other um, vegan companies and brands as well. Uh, and then, obviously, there's lots of other people which you can see on our About Us page. But, yeah, that's where we are, and, and that's how we got there. And people keep saying, how did you, people ask me a lot, how, do you, how did you get there? And it's really just consistency. There's no secret source. Uh, we just produce content every single day. We try and stick to a, a routine, stick to a, a schedule of content, um, and try and get as much stories uh, and information out as we can, um, and to be as clear and as accountable and um, and credible as we can as well, so that people form a, a certain amount of trust. Because our platform and, and the size of our platform is is like that because of our audience. Our audience obviously trusts us. They they value what we say and what we create, and that information is then shared and spread by our audience. So uh, credibility and the trust of our audience is 
is re is really the, the the not the secret weapon, but it is it is the the reason we are who we are. Oh, uh, it's such an incredible story, and um, I've got to say, um, I was telling our the founder of FTA, Sarah, about it yesterday, and especially uh, about you getting the email because I think a lot of us have had the email from the foreign prince at some stage, you know, <laughs> saying, you know, if you give me your bank details, I'll give you ten thousand dollars, you know, and. Um, yeah. I think hopefully there'll be a lot of our viewers now actually checking their emails properly yeah. now. <laughs> what have we missed? Yeah. But, um, it must have been, um, yeah, it must be really daunting to put your faith in a, well, I suppose, a virtual stranger because um, for the main part, you know, you never really know who's at the other end of an email. I guess, uh, how was your family and everyone when you just said, hey, I've got this foreign prince wanting to give me money? <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people were questioning it. They said, you know, especially being from Saudi Arabia, you know, and Prince Khalid will, will t tell you himself that, that it's, it's a challenging place to be and a challenging culture to be a part of. Um, you know, it's very, it's, uh, it, has a, it has a lot of, um, there are a lot of issues in that society, in that culture. Things are changing. Um, in fact, you know, his father and him are instrumental in trying to shape and shift the future of that country because, you know, he's part of the royal family. So he does have, they do have some influence. Uh, in trying to shape the world's uh, view of Saudi Arabia, but it is still, you know, there are still a lot of issues there, and that does does raise its its head, um, and people do ask questions about that. And you know, ultimately, what we felt was is that you know the the money that we received from the organisation that he is a part of, his investment fund, we you know we're doing good things with it. We are we're trying to shift and change the world for the for the better. Prince Khalid's vision is to see a world where there is no factory farming, that it is, um, you know, he's, he often, his words are, it needs to be assigned to the dustbin of history. Mm -hmm. That's his, uh, his, his, phrase, his, his mention about it. But, um, yeah, there was, there was definitely criticism, there was definitely praise, there was definitely excitement. So it was a real mix of, of things from people. I love it. I love how, um, you know, um, listening to previous interviews, you know, you're obviously quite a spiritual person as well, and it's lovely just how, you know, the whole... The whole universe providing, you know, I, I love, yeah, I just love that whole sense of it as well. You know, it's sheer hard work and it's just all the stars aligning and everything just coming together, you know, and I love that. Um, and one of the things that we love about, about PBN is, you know, everything that you guys do, you just do so well, you know, and um, what now, I guess, well, maybe it's been that way all along, but, but what is the primary aim and the purpose of, of plant-based news and has that initial concept changed over the years? Um, the concept hasn't changed. Uh, we, our, our focus and our kind of our reason for being is to spread the plant-based message um, and to tap into the mainstream. The reason we're not vegan news is because when we first started, veganism or vegan was a lot less palatable as it is now. People were a lot more afraid of it. I think people are more accepting of it now, three, four years later. But, uh, you know, four years ago, I think it was a lot more of a fringe topic. Uh, it's now has been thrust firmly into the mainstream. It's everywhere. Everyone's talking about it. Restaurants everywhere have a vegan menu of some sort, um, in most major cities at least. But our kind of primary focus is lifestyle, is to show people how easy, delicious, simple, fun, cool, sexy uh, it can be to be a vegan. That, you know, being vegan isn't about being, you know, some you know, caftan wearing, croc wearing, hippie <laughs> hugging trees. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's a stereotype that people have that we as people are a very particular type of person. Um, but actually, you know, vegans come in all different shapes and sizes. We're black, we're white, we're Indian, we're Chinese, we're, you know, um, 
South American, we're Italian, we're Spanish. There's so many different types of vegans with different cultures, especially food, food cultures that, that bring uh, diversity and, and complexity to the conversation. For me, it's about trying to show people that there is an urgency that you know, life on Earth is finite, it's not infinite, and we have a limited time to um, change the course of our future. Humanity is on a, is a, on a collision course with oblivion. Our way of living and the way we exist on Earth today is parasitic. You know, we are living in, in we're living in a, in, a, in a culture that continuously consumes and kills and takes from Gaia, Gaia being the Earth. Um, we do not return to the Earth. We do not give back. We only take, and that is what I believe. I believe that humans are currently in a parasitic phase, a bit like the caterpillar eating the leaf, unaware of the fact that by consuming the leaf, they may fall from the tree and, and ultimately, um, you know, become squished on the ground. But I do firmly believe that human beings are capable of more than being just caterpillars, more than being just parasites. I think that we have within us the potential to be incredible creators and not destroyers, that our, our innate human humanity is, uh, is one of, uh, of beauty and compassion. Uh, but the darker side of us uh, comes is born out of this sort of this selfish society that continuously tells us that we're number one uh, and that nobody else matters. That competition is the most important thing, and that collaboration is you know is for the weak. Um, you know we're taught you know the weak you know the, what is it from the cloud atlas um, the the weak are meat and the strong must eat. Um, you know we are you know it, it's it's an it's an insanity really. Then we don't realize how connected we are. Um, and, and it's my favorite book, The Cloud Atlas, and there's another line that goes, we're bound to others, past and present, and with every crime and each kindness, we birth our future. And, you know, this is something that I want to teach people within plant-based news is that everything we do, everything that we buy, all the things that we are constantly acquiring, they have a consequence. Uh, someone in some far-flung country made something that you've bought um, and has potentially been... Um, um, exploited for it, a person or an animal or the land, and that we must uh, learn to be more ethical beings. We must learn to, to think before we buy or eat or speak or anything like that. So ultimately, that is our, essentially what plant-based news is about. It's about education. It's about enlightening and raising the consciousness of, of you know, people and helping them understand that they have the power to change the world, even if it is from their very small corner of of the earth oh, wow. well, yeah thank you for that and yeah plant-based news is doing an absolutely fantastic job in getting that education out there and um you guys put out so much different content you know whether it's about the food the business the technology the fashion uh simple lifestyle choices stop the podcast we'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to one of our partners the divinity coalition the Divinity Research Program believes in the power of intersectional behavioral research, evidence-based lifestyle change, and conscious communications campaigns to support the holistic health of our planet, human and non-human animals. Head on over to theversafoundation.org to learn more. Now back to the podcast. It must be incredible to try and keep up with all that information. You must have such a volume each day. Um, but even more importantly... How do you guys go about, you know, choosing the information that you want to put forward? That's a good question. Uh, choosing the information comes 
by often just you know uh, an intuition based on how well content does. Um, I personally consume a lot of media on a daily basis, so I'm plugged into you know all the social networks, and I'm always absorbing and reading and looking and seeing. Um, and you can tell how well something does by the engagement. So that's the comments, the likes, and the shares. Um, that tells you that people are engaging with a piece of content. They're watching it. A video is a little bit harder because uh, a view on YouTube, sorry, one view, one view on Facebook is just three seconds. So if a person scrolls past a video, one, two, three, that's counted as a view. So it's not a true representation of how well a piece of content has done. For me, engagement being comments, likes, and shares, it tells you that a person enjoyed a piece of content, they've shared it, they want their friends or family to see it, they've commented on it, they've invested time in it. So when we see articles that are being engaged with in that way, um, we know that they are obviously of interest. Then there's obviously stuff of global importance, like you know what's going on with the climate crisis, talking about the effects animal agriculture is having on the planet and the climate. I think those stories need to be heard, um, and you know whether they get engagement or not, I think people need to hear what is going on with our planet and what's going on with animal agriculture so for me you know it isn't always a case of like is it going to do well it's like does it need to be told that's that's important um, and as far as sort of the knowledge and the information that's come that comes from us it comes to us it comes from all sorts of different sources uh, we're constantly being bombarded with um, uh, news alerts from Google or uh, I'm seeing things in Facebook groups um, or we're being sent articles by um, collabor co contributors or people in different countries have said, have you seen this? Or on Instagram, we're sent me DM messages on Instagram too saying, hey, have you seen this? Or, this is really important. Can you cover this? Um, it's a real challenge because we're a small team. As I said, we've only got one full-time writer, Maria, and uh, deputy editor, Liam. Uh, so it is a struggle sometimes to keep up with the volume of stuff. And we don't always get to everything, but we do our best. Um, but ultimately, it's about just getting as much information and knowledge out there as possible um, and trying to keep the quality as, as high as possible, which is, again, a challenge when you're trying to write so fast and create so much. Yeah, I can only imagine what it's like. You know, we know just as, as everyday individuals, we get bombarded, you know, just on one platform in Facebook alone without everything else. So, yeah, I think you guys do an amazing job. And um, one of the things that we've, we've you. heard you say is, you know, that um, another reason why we love PBN is that it was created to counteract the mainstream media narrative, which is hugely important. And um, you've said in the past that, you know, plant-based news isn't non-biased because, you know, obviously it's biased in favor of veganism and whole food plant-based living. Um, however, you do still manage to stay non-judgmental, which is one of the, another, you know, yet another thing that we love about you guys. And how, you know, how important is it to maintain that non-judgmental stance and, you know, that journalistic integrity? It's so important because you never know who's watching and who's listening. We don't make content for vegans. We make content for people, and that's vegans, non-vegans, flexitarians, vegetarians. You know, we need to make sure that the knowledge that people are acquiring or the news that people are reading is stuff that they can relate to, that they can connect with. If everything is about vegan activism on our page, you know, that's like 0.001% of the population of Earth. Most people are not interested in activism. Most people don't want to hear about it. But we can talk about activism in a way that is not threatening. So we can talk about what's going on on a farm and how the animals are being exploited. But we don't necessarily have to say activists broke in and, you know, um, 
scattered on the ground and did this and did that and, and, and talk all about how the humans came in and attacked uh, not attack because that's the wrong word. Humans <laughs> came in and exposed this and exposed that. You know, often I think centering the victims or centering the animals uh, on the, in the stories uh, that is what taps into into more people's uh, conscious consciousness because um, everyone cares about animals in some way. Most people are animal lovers. So when we center the animals or the victims of this um, of these atrocities, I think it's a more relatable story and articles are more relatable without the need to sort of center activism or center the human beings in the stories. Um, it's important to be non-judgmental as well because I think it's very easy to put people off. It's very easy to alienate people when they feel they're being judged. If we talk about the phrase meat is murder, and I've spoken about this a lot, that us as vegans, we believe that meat is murder because murder by definition is killing a person. And animals are people. They are not humans, but they are people. They have their own identities, they have they dream, they think, they problem solve, they see the world in colour like you do, they they speak, they cry, they, they feel loneliness, they feel anger, they feel fear. They are people just like us. Um, and to kill uh, a person is murder. But the rest of the world doesn't know this and they don't understand this. Most of the humanity sees animals as just sort of autonomous, uh, you know, um, objects going around on a track. You know, the Victorians, I think, used to, didn't even know that animals were conscious, conscious. They didn't believe that they were sentient. And there are still people today that don't see animals as sentient. So we believe that meat is murder. But if you go out there shouting meat is murder to the 99% of the non-vegan world, they don't understand that. It doesn't make sense to them. So you have to speak to people in their own terms. You have to try and um, help them understand the importance of treating conscious and sentient life as precious. And you have to get in there and sort of work your way in and earn people's trust. So that's why it's really, really important to not be judgmental. And when people get it, they get it because they're getting it on their own without you having to force them into, into coming to that realization. You're not forcing them to understand. And when they get it and they understand it, they usually stick with it. And when people make that connection for, for the animals, they often don't ever go back. Um, and so I think that's why it's really, really, really important to not be judgmental and to, and to focus on the, the valuable and, and positives of being plant-based or being vegan uh, and lead with that. That's some brilliant advice. And um, through this series, we've had the wonderful opportunity to speak to people like um, the wonderful Claire Mann and like Joey Carbstrong and then um, more people who speak about the the importance of how we communicate and so joey's a advocate for the socratic method which is the whole process of asking people what their beliefs are and how that is so and um when we spoke to claire she's saying about the importance of not but yeah putting people on that that back foot on that defensive because yeah um it can be like going against a brick wall then but um mm. one thing you spoke about in previous uh interviews and podcasts is um, one of the downsides um, that comes with any sort of group, and that is infighting. And I think all of us, all of the audience will be able to say, you know, yeah, I, I've seen that. You know, it happens in all groups. Um, but hopefully through a series like this, we're hoping to teach people about all the different forms of activism. We can try and teach non-vegans, vegans, activists alike. So then we can all understand each other better. And rather than just sharing criticism without knowing, we can try and um, work together on it. So how how important do you feel it is that we uh, try and stop the bickering and uh, get on with saving the animals? I think it's so important. You know, while you're arguing with another activist and while you are casting 
my friend says, nasturtions, aspersions <laughs> at other people, um, you know, you, you, you are, you're wasting valuable time. You know, for every post you put out on your social media where you're attacking other people, that post could be a post educating people about veganism and animals and the, and the, and the hor horrific things that animals have to endure at the hands of human beings. You know, time is limited. We don't have a lot of time on this planet. There are only 52 weekends in the in a year, and you are, you and you may only get 80 plus years, you know, in your life. Our lives are finite. They're very, very, very limited, and and also they could be taken from us like that. We're living in a pandemic. You know, a horrific virus or disease could take you. Could be hit by a bus. God forbid. You know, anything uh, could happen to you at any time. Do you really want to be remembered for being the person who was causing uh, conflict all the time? There's, you know, that being said, you know, I think when people are behaving in ways that is not acceptable, it is good to um, speak out. But I think so much conflict can be resolved by picking up the phone and having a conversation with another person. There is a there's tendency to sort of take to social media and tear into other people without talking to them first. You know, if you have a problem with another person, you know, just bite your lip and, you know, reach out to them and say, is it possible to have a call with you? Is it possible to have a conversation with you? Sometimes people don't realize what they're doing. Sometimes people don't realize that their behavior is unacceptable or that they're causing, um, you know, offense or upset. People, you know, people sometimes do need a wake-up call, but you don't necessarily need to cause a nuclear explosion, um, you know, by, by helping to create change and facilitate change in another person's life. You could just do it very, very, um, you know, cleverly by having a, a very direct conversation with that person. Do you know what I mean? So I think, oh, sorry, my cat's just jumped on the table and gave me a fright. <laughs> um, so I think it is possible to, to, it is possible to create change and, and still have those strong words with another person without causing huge amounts of conflict. You know, I think that conflict, it slows us down, it creates, um, it creates unhappiness, it can cause depression. You know, like with misanthropy, when people start to sort of hate each other and, and disagree on a regular basis, it just creates this sort of toxic communication that really, like, it hampers the growth of our movement. It hampers the, the spreading of this message. Um, when people come together and when people collaborate and they put their personal differences aside, you can create incredible things and we have to just keep remembering that that you know you may have some differences of opinions with some fellow activists and campaigners and advocates but ultimately you know, if you if we really want to see change real change in this world we have to learn to get along um and sometimes you know the best advice is to pick your battles you don't have to take on another person for every single thing that annoys you sometimes just you know it's sometimes better to just pick your battles and, and, and ask, is it really worth causing this conflict? Is, is bringing this issue up, is it really going to uh, create the change that I want? Is it really going to help facilitate um, a shift in, my, in our society? Obviously, there are some very serious things uh, in our society, like um, sexism, racism, homophobia, transphobia. These things do need to be called out. Um, and you know, I think having a, a quiet conversation with another person about this kind of behavior, sometimes doesn't and a lot of the time doesn't work because the person you know they don't want to talk about it so having you can you can speak into the blue in the face these kind of issues do sometimes need a collection of people to get together and and to, in, a, in a uniform unified voice say this behavior is unacceptable and you know you're you're out of the team or you're out you know racism sexism homophobia or transphobia 
you know, I think when we collectively get together and say, no, this behavior is unacceptable and you cannot be in this team or you cannot work in our group, you know, this, this is not right. You know, sometimes people do come back from these behaviors and apologize and, and they, they realize they were wrong. And I think sometimes people can atone for this stuff. People can change. Um, so it's really nuanced. It's really, really difficult. But I think for the most part, you know, pick your battles. Um, you know, be, be, be careful about, you know, going public and attacking people without having a word with them first, especially if they're friends or people you've worked with for a long time. Um, and, uh, and lead with compassion and lead, and lead with, with that, you know, lead with that, that kind of empathetic uh, a voice, you know, try and understand where people are at and, and try and see if you can relate to them and see why perhaps that they are causing conflict. You know, people, people sometimes hide their suffering and they project their anger onto others um, and it might not always be what it seems from the outside. Very true, yeah, definitely. Now that's great advice and, um, you know, I mean, it, uh, one of the many reasons that, you know, we love what you do in plant-based news is, you know, it, it is such a positive environment. You know, it's all about sharing, um, promoting, inspiring, and getting all the good things that, you know, so many people are doing out there. Um, during this series, we've also spoken to the wonderful Katrina Fox, um, who told us that her word for the year is collaboration. Um, and, you know, we feel that this is a stance that really we should all be adopting in, in order to further the movement and you know with vegan businesses being in something like the one percent at the moment um how important is it that we do all support one another we must support one another that you know collaboration is the core of my life philosophy if you don't collaborate with other people it's going to take a lot longer for you to get to where you want to go um you know we if we walk together with others you know we can support each other we can help each other we can nourish and 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 you know give each other that courage. You know, I, I always love to remind people that the word encouragement has the word courage in it. It's built in. You know, when you give others encouragement and you support them, you give you actually give them courage. Um, you know, it, it may seem cheesy, but it's true. You know, a, a word of of encouragement and support to someone who's struggling and suffering means the world. Um, never underestimate the power of just picking up the phone to a friend who's struggling and say, are you okay? Can I do anything? Um, or how's your business? Or how's your mental health? Um, we're living in a pandemic. You had to get rid of your staff. You know, is there anything I can do to support you? People need each other. We're tribal preachers. Our, our, we've, we've existed for most of our um, history in, you know, in tribes, in, in collectives. So this sort of selfish um, behavior that was like... Hello. <laughs> Hello, Princess. Princess Nala. Princess Nala. Hello. <laughs> she has a tendency to do that. Bless her. Um, <laughs> you know, we 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 need each other. We really do. And and you know, when we nourish and support each other, great things happen. And I think you know, business can be collaborative. You know, we there is a tendency in business to want to always compete with each other and always think that, you know, we're trying to destroy each other and get to the top. But I don't want to do that. I would prefer to collaborate with other people. You know, we have got, um, we've got com competitors, you could say, people who work in our space who are fiercely competitive with us. Um, and I don't like that. I, I prefer to work together. I'd love to have big conventions where we all come together and talk about how we, you know, how we achieve, you know, uh, dominate the, the, the world news scene by being vegan, you know, come together and support each other. But it's, it's hard. It's hard to sort of, you know, do that sometimes when other people see you as competition. Even in the vegan activist circles, people want to compete with each other in vegan activism. You know, they always want to speak over each other and tell each other how they're doing it wrong. And, um, 
I just think it's so destructive. You know, we really need to learn to collaborate. We have to collaborate because it's the only way I think our species will survive. So true. And at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. I mean, yeah. We do. Why would we not work together? It's, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, um, in line with collaborating, um, during the interview you did with uh, Katrina during her uh, vegan business media podcast, um, you spoke about the significance of using cross-posting when it comes to um, Facebook, and that's a tool that I'm just discovering, I've probably said the word about a hundred times today, uh, okay. we, had a, we had a meeting <laughs> this morning, and um, yeah, as a social media expert, or well, a Facebook expert especially, um, can you tell us a little bit about um, what cross-posting cross is and how we can use that um, as vegan businesses to help collaborate and, you know, create joint growth? Mm, absolutely. I think cross-posting is a fantastic uh, function of Facebook pages. You add your uh, partners or people that you work with as cross-posting partnerships, uh, and then when you create a piece of video content, you're able to selectively choose which other organizations or businesses you'd like to share that video content with. When they go into their Facebook Creator Studio and they want to publish a piece of video content, they click on cross-posting videos and they get a selection of all kinds of video content that they can then cross-post natively or organically into their Facebook news feed and it looks as if it's coming from them. But if you've posted it on, their, on, the, on your page and it's got 100,000 views, when they post it and share it, it will have 100,000 views. So it will collectively show what's called that social credit to show that that video is popular. Um, and it means that you don't need to freeboot or download other people's videos and re-upload them. You can just simply reach out to them and say, we would love to cross-post content um, onto our page. Would you be interested in being a cross-posting partner? Um, and most people will say yes, because obviously it helps the growth of their video. Most people say yes, please just don't forget to credit us or link to our page in the caption. Um, and we've got like oh, maybe like 60 cross-posted partners on our page. And so we cross-post loads of stuff with like the boys from Bosch, um, uh, Green Matters, which is an amazing um, environmental um, news platform. Who else? Uh, oh, so many, so many different companies and organizations. So it's a really, really great way to work together to further the movement. Yeah, and everybody's helping each other. So it's it's brilliant. Um, yeah, I, I love it. And, um, you know, I mean, call us shallow, but we do find ourselves, you know, talking about, um, you know, the, the Bosch boys as well. Um, but, you know, vegans or I, I, don't, I don't mind if people are vegan now or if I find that they've just gone vegan, you know, or if they've been vegan for, for years. But, you know, I do find myself a bit shallow in that I'm a lot more likely to, to like and admire and support celebrities that I never had the time of day for <laughs> before I found out that they were vegan or, or gone vegan. And, um, you know, one such example is, is Vinnie Jones. Um, you know, I, I see uh, over in the UK, he, along with uh, Pixie Lott and um, boxer Nicola Adams, they recently um, recreated, and very brilliantly so, a vegan milk campaign um, emulating the pro-dairy ads that they did a decade earlier, which was just brilliant. You know, Vinnie Jones has gone way up in my estimation. <laughs> How influential do you think celebrities truly are, you know, when it comes to succeeding and inspiring fans and their followers to go vegan? Hugely influential. Human beings are hardwired to look up to others who are influential. I think, I don't know, it's, I think it's 
it's, I don't know what it is. I'm not an anthropologist, but I think we're hardwired to aspire to see, um, you know, greatness in others. Um, there must be some sort of special psychological mechanism built in. I think it's the way we relate to others, the way we see others through our mirror neurons and our ability to empathize with others. When we see someone else doing great things, we see ourselves in them. And I think with celebrity, you know, we see a familiar face. Again, human beings are hardwired to recognize faces. And when we see a recognizable face from a TV show, we've had a positive experience from them. So we look up to them and they can reach out to influence millions and millions and millions of people. So when a very high profile celebrity goes vegan and they start talking about it in a way that is really positive, it's a great thing. Um, Jessie J, I interviewed Jessie J. Jessie and I sat down and talked about her being vegan and she really spoke in such an eloquent and beautiful way about being vegan and it was really the way I think most celebrities should be talking about veganism. I think there were issues arise when celebrities talk about veganism as only a diet um, and nothing else. I think that's problematic for me because I think, you know, veganism isn't a diet, it's a life philosophy um, and that, you know, it, it's important that we maintain its meaning. You know, it's the, it's the future of our planet, it's the future of our world. We, we need our, you know, we need human beings to, to shift more towards a vegan lifestyle because, you know, the alternative, the volcanism is so destructive and damaging to our, our species. So I think when, when celebrities talk about veganism in a way that's on point and, and correct, um, I think it has huge power. Obviously, I'm not saying that people should be perfect. People make mistakes. People say things they, they perhaps shouldn't do. But I think you know, celebrities could be and are hugely influential. So we shouldn't we shouldn't berate them and um, you know ridicule them for for speaking about veganism. Because I think people say that oh, vegans. Some vegans say that that celebrities are talking about veganism just the cool factor but you know when I spoke to Jessie I really felt like she she backs it she's really behind it it's really an important part of her life um, and it's helped improve her health and she has made the connection with Anna so yeah it can be it can be great for the movement I think if more celebrities spoke out about it thank you for listening to this interview we hope you found it informative and entertaining to learn more about Robbie's work be sure to check out plantbasednews.org Once again, be sure to follow us on social media platforms for future episodes. This has been Vegan FTA, vegan for the animals.